Good morning. My name is Al Pino. I'm one of the pastors here at Palm Vista Community Church. And we uh, now center our service around God's Word. The Gospel is the theme of the book of Romans. And we've been preaching through the book of Romans these last eight months. I know it's hard to believe, but we began our series in the book of Romans on January 4th of this year. And, and the gospel is the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, Christ. And its effects then on our life as we live by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The book of Romans is about the gospel. What we're doing here is taking a little break from our expository series in Romans to spend four weeks drilling down into the gospel. This good news of Christ's righteousness, which is ours by faith. And we're asking What does it mean to live by faith in Jesus Christ? We want to understand this gospel. Last week we began this mini-series, this four-week mini-series. And we began it with this question. Is it worth it to live by faith in Christ? And the answer from Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 is a resounding yes. Why? Because the God of peace, the God who gave us Christ who raised Christ up from the dead, equips us with every good thing to do his will and works in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That was last week. This week, we want to take a closer look at what a life lived by faith in Christ looks like. What kind of life is Christ-centered? What kind of life is gospel-centered? Well, I'll tell you what kind of life it is. It is a beautiful life, which is the title of the message this morning. A beautiful life. And we're going to look at Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Because we want to see a description of this beautiful life. This life lived by faith in Christ. This, this life lived by people who bow their knee, their heart, everything And they say, I live by faith in you, Jesus, your righteousness. Friends, Christ chose us. And he came into our lives to make beautiful what sin had made hideous. Beautiful marriages. Beautiful families. Beautiful people. See, he came to work in us that which is pleasing in God's sight, that which is beautiful to God. Now, the world may not recognize this beauty, but, oh, friends, we should. This is the standard of true beauty. What is a beautiful life? What is a life that is lived by faith in Jesus Christ alone, a gospel-centered life, a Christ-centered life? That is the theme of this message. That is the theme of Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. So please turn there. And if you need a Bible, there's one in the very back. I encourage you to open to God's word. This is the authority in our lives. So let's read it. Let's find out what a beautiful life looks like. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as Christ's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give me your words to speak to your people. Build your church, Lord. Build it upon the rock, Jesus Christ, the gospel. Lord, build it upon your word, your living word, your word that is sound and good and authoritative. We trust you now, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go back to the title of the message, please. Have, have you ever noticed the credits? Have you ever noticed the credits after a national news broadcast or perhaps a movie? So they'll roll the credits and there's always a credit stating that the anchor or the star's wardrobe was provided by a well-known clothier. Oscar de la Renta, Armani, Donna Karen, New York, Chanel, Ralph Lauren. Well, today's message is about the heavenly wardrobe that God provides for his people. A beautiful wardrobe appropriate for a beautiful life produced by our wonderful Savior. And here's what I believe this text is saying to us, and I believe it is the theme of our message. God provides a heavenly wardrobe in Christ Jesus. God provides us a heavenly wardrobe in Christ Jesus. He provides it for us as his people. And we have to look into the mirror of his word so we might discover what that heavenly wardrobe looks like. What does a beautiful life look like? What do people who've had their lives beautified by Christ wear? What do they look like? See, friends, the gospel beautifies us. For God's glory. And we see this immediately in verse 12. Look at it with me. Put on then, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The first thing we see here is that we are God's chosen ones in Christ. We are holy and beloved. The gospel beautifies us. See, we were the rejected ones. We were the ones upon whom we rightly receive God's wrath because of our rebellion against him. We were unholy, vile, broken, rejected, cursed under God's wrath. And then in Christ, God had mercy upon us and he came and he chose us, the rejected ones. And he made holy the unholy ones by the righteousness of Christ, not by your righteousness, anything you can do, but by what Christ has done. He worked in us that which is pleasing in his sight in Jesus Christ. Just just take a look at the four verses of Colossians 3 in your Bible. This section begins with the gospel. It begins with what I've just mentioned. If then you were raised with Christ and seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, 
who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, what this says, particularly in verse 4, is that our hope is our life in Christ. We've died to the old, the unholy, the vile, the rejected ones. And we now live in Christ as holy, accepted, chosen. And our hope is in the glory of God that we will receive in Christ. If you're here as a guest, and if you're here as a guest who would not call himself or herself a Christian, first of all, thank you for coming. But may I appeal to you that this morning, God is speaking to you through his word, through the gospel, that you who are rejected under the curse of God, unholy and vile, God is saying today, die to yourself, as it says there in verse 4. We have died in Christ. That he might then give you life. It's his work, but we must respond. And I pray you would respond this morning. And may I appeal to you if you are a Christian. Dear believing friend, thank you for coming this morning. You have bowed your life to Jesus Christ. I mean, verse 3 describes you. Your life is hidden in Christ. May I appeal to you, you who've centered your life on Jesus, you whose values, you whose mission, your purpose, your calendar, even your checkbook, line up with Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Line up with the gospel. We're going to take a look in a moment at what your life looks like, my life looks like, what kind of clothes we wear as these new creations in Christ. May I appeal to you, that you take a fresh look at the mirror of God's word so that you might dress appropriately. Remind yourself what you look like. Now let me just say, next week, we're going to take a look at what the church looks like that has been produced by the gospel. What a group of people who have been called and made holy and chosen or beloved, what they look like corporately. But this week... We're going to talk about what the individual Christian looks like. I often attempt to dress myself. Every morning, I will stand in front of the mirror, and I will look at my wardrobe, and I will select what I think goes, what matches, what's appropriate for a 57-year-old man who's going to go do whatever, preach, go to a a movie, go to a, a dinner with someone. And I will select my clothing, and then the next thing I do is I will ask my wife and my daughter, who's still at home, Stephanie, how'd I do? They love me, so the the laughter is usually muffled. And every once in a while, they go, ah, it looks great. But more often than not, they'll smile, put their arm around my shoulder, and walk me back upstairs, Say, I think those colors probably don't match. (laughs) Those shoes are dress shoes and you're wearing pants that don't match. And Dad, I think it looks better this way. That was was good about 25 years ago. Might want to get rid of that one. They they are the the authorities for my wardrobe and I sorely need them because I lack sensibilities in this area. I'm trying to grow. The reason I do it first is because I'm trying to grow because in the past I've always kind of said, ah, that's not that important, but I realize that's selfish, Al. Your daughter and your wife, they are stylish people. My wife's Italian. Italians have style. (laughs) Serious style. She's beautiful. I don't want to be dressed like 
homeless person and she's looking beautiful. I'd like to actually figure this out someday and pray for me. I hope I will one day. But they're my authority. How much more this morning is God's word our mirror and authority that says, no, I'll dress like this. That shirt doesn't go with those pants. Unforgiveness and bitterness that Jim mentioned earlier doesn't go with who you are in Christ now, Al. It's mismatched. It clashes. Come on upstairs. Let's pick something out of your wardrobe that's appropriate. This is what a beautiful life looks like. This is what beautiful people look like. This is how beautiful people dress. Oh, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. Now let's dress like it. Let's dress like it. And the first article of clothing that God provides us, because God provides us with this heavenly wardrobe, the very first article that he provides us with is a compassionate heart. Please look at verse 12 again. Put on then, comma, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, comma, first article of clothing in our five-piece ensemble here, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Friends, these are the hearts that know God's compassion. This shirt that I put on, This compassionate heart is one that I received from the Lord. He was compassionate to me when I was his enemy. When I was dead in my sins and trespasses, Christ had compassion upon me. I just want to appeal to you again, if you're an unbeliever, this is the good news, friend. The bad news is that you do stand under God's wrath. You are God's enemy. But the good news is that he has compassion on his enemies. All of us seated here who know Christ have experienced that compassion. And you can too if you would repent and believe in Jesus. And having experienced God's great compassion in Christ, how do we then demonstrate a heart of compassion toward others? Because this is the clothing that's appropriate for us. Compassion and mercy are synonymous. So we express compassion by showing mercy towards others. We forgive them. As a matter of fact, look at verse 13. Because verse 13 is exactly what someone who is dressed with these five articles of clothing does. Look at it again. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. This is what we celebrated in communion, what Jim so aptly mentioned and reminded us of. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We show compassion because we've been given compassion. We are merciful because God has been merciful to us. He he passed over our offenses. He bore the the loss of our sin against him. And therefore, we do the same with others. We speak words of blessing when we are cursed. We speak words of uplifting, not of discouraging and putting down. We speak words of encouragement, not critical words that discourage. Compassion carries with it this idea of one's heart going out to another. See, to have compassion for someone is to hold that person and their concerns close to one's heart. We do this by sympathetically listening to others' concerns and by compassionately bearing their burdens. Dave Harvey once said, mercy or compassion is a train that tows sympathy behind it. 
Are you a sympathetic person? How do you respond to the limitations of others? Does your shirt clash with who you are? Do you exhibit that sympathy and understanding when their weaknesses are in full display before you? Or are you wearing this loud and clashing shirt of irritation? That's the question. See, what's most amazing of all is, is that when, 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 when God showed us compassion, he then calls us to show that same compassion to those that would hurt us or despitefully use us on our enemies. That's the worst case scenario. And Jesus said, love your enemies. See, in this way, we reflect God's compassion. We reflect his mercy. And that clothing draws people's attention, not to ourselves, but to Christ and the mercy we received at the cross. And putting on compassion, we are clothing ourselves with the heavenly wardrobe that beautifies the body of Christ, as Jim mentioned in communion, and glorify God. Oh, God provides us with compassionate hearts as this first article of our wardrobe. And secondly... The second piece of clothing that God provides for us is kindness. Look at that. Compassionate hearts, verse 12. Kindness. Kindness. God expresses his kindness toward us in Christ, and he commands us to clothe ourselves with the same kindness toward others. This passage has always amazed me. Remember I told you that Jesus said, love your neighbor, or love your enemy? He took the most radical situation and said, love your enemy. If I'm to love my enemy, then that means I'm to love everybody in between to include my fellow church member, my spouse, my children, my friend, my coworker, even when sometimes they seem to act like my enemy at times. This passage in Luke 6.35 is amazing. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. And this last line is the one that always gets me. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It's hard to be kind to ungrateful and evil people until you remember that you were and at times still are those ungrateful and evil people. And God is kind to you. God is kind to you. What does it mean to clothe ourselves with kindness? In the original Greek, this word carries with it the idea of generosity. So being kind towards someone is to be generous of spirit toward him or her, to be generous with your words, your actions, to be generous with your understanding toward their weakness. Are you generous with your understanding or are you stingy? Now I realize that part of the uh, wardrobe of today, what's in, are these really tight shirts for guys, or the skinny jeans. I always had trouble, but okay, I won't go there. So, 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 but, but imagine if I tried to put on my grandson Samuel's shirt, who's four. (laughs) If I could get it on, and I walked out, you'd go, dude, I don't want to say anything, but I don't think you should go to work wearing that. It's a little stingy. It's a little tight. Are you a little stingy when it comes to generosity and kindness? Are you an exacting man or woman? Or has God's kindness towards you when you were weak, when you blew it, when you didn't remember, when you didn't do it well, his generosity towards you in Christ, does it elicit out of you a generosity to others to give them the benefit of the doubt, to generously think the best of them, generously give them your forgiveness Because God has generously given you his. 
We, 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 this, this wardrobe, this piece of our wardrobe is given by God as we remember his generosity toward us in Christ. He gave us all we need in Christ. He poured out the riches of heaven on us in Christ. He became poor that we might become rich. Oh, friends, let us be a generous church. Thank you for your generosity financially. That's actually one of the ways we, we exhibit that, I believe. But may we be generous in spirit. It also means being amiable, being a friend. Because God made us his friends in Christ. We should be friendly to others. We shouldn't be cold and put offish as if we're better. Even if people are very different from us, speaking different languages, looking differently than we do. No, Jesus calls us his friends. We should call one another our friends. May we clothe ourselves with kindness, a friendly attitude toward one another. I want you to think of kindness as one shoe in a pair of shoes. Yeah, think of a pair of Aldos or ladies' Jimmy Choo's or Prada's. The other pair is patience. Patience, it's the last of the five listed here. Great kindness requires great patience just as surely as the left shoe requires the right shoe to make a pair. I find that my, my kindness quotient is directly proportionate to my patience quotient. When my patience with you runs out, usually so does my kindness. Number three, patience. What kind of shoes are we wearing this morning, folks? Do they go with who we are? See, patience is born of our understanding of God's patience toward us. Love is patient. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and that he gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. Our patience flows from Christ propitiating our wrath. This is what we celebrated today. I deserve God's wrath. To propitiate is someone comes and takes the wrath I deserve and gives me the favor I don't deserve. So my patience flows from the cross. Oh, friends, these are beautiful shoes to wear indeed. These are shoes that that, that should be worn by beautiful feet. Feet that bring the gospel to others. What Jesus did on the cross. His resurrection and his ascension. Jim, several weeks ago, preached a message from Romans chapter 10. And I want to display here verse 15. And he spoke about these feet. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. That's your feet. That's my feet. And the way we preach it is we show kindness to the ungrateful and the evil. It's the right kind of shoes to to wear today. Beautiful shoes. Far more beautiful than Jimmy Choo's or Aldo's or Prada's. Bought by the blood of Jesus. A patience, a patience that is stirred up by, by the kindness and patience of God. See, oftentimes, others' weakness is ordained by God to help us learn patience. Beautiful shoes. Provided by our Father. The next piece of our wardrobe Number four is humility. You see it there? Humility. God clothes us with humility. This is the fourth piece of our wardrobe. Oh, friends, Christ humbled himself. Listen, we receive this garment. We receive humility from God who humbled himself to save us. One of my favorite passages, Philippians chapter 2, verses 
5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves. So immediately Paul is saying, I want you to be like this. Like what? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Oh, it's mine in Christ Jesus? Yes. It's Christ, and now that he chose you, you are in him and he's in you. So it's yours in Christ Jesus. Oh, what's mine in Christ Jesus? What garment has he given me? What piece of my wardrobe has he given me? Here's what he's given you. Verse 6, who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He did not empty himself of his divinity. He is God. He emptied himself of the prerogative of the glory in heaven. He humbled himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. How did he humble himself? By coming down here and being one of us. What if God were one of us? Well, he was a baby. Diapers got changed. That's humility. For God, being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself further by what? By becoming obedient, and obedient to what? To the point of death, even death on a cross. He hung naked on a cross in agony. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach this gospel. They should also be adorned by slacks of humility. The humility Jesus provides us. And it's interesting, the Bible instructs us to humble ourselves before God. In fact, the scriptural model is not for us to ask God to humble us, but to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God so that he might lift us up because it's the humble who receive the grace of God. And it is the grace of God that enables me to be kind and to humble myself. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, All of you, notice this, all of you, what does it say next? Clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves. Go into the closet, the the closet God has given you with the clothes God has given you and clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's just street smart. (laughs) You do not want God to oppose you. But rather you need his help and he does give grace, his help to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Let us clothe ourselves with humility and the fifth and final piece of our wardrobe. This ensemble is meekness. It's actually the fourth one on the list. You see that? Meekness. This Greek word can be translated meekness or it can be translated gentleness. Here in the ESV, it's translated meekness. In the New American Standard Bible, it's translated gentleness as well as in the New International Version. Now, one of the meanings of this Greek word that we translate meek is as follows. Not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Ouch. Not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Friends, this garment comes directly from our Lord Jesus Christ, who was not impressed with his self-importance, but as God gave it up. Not his divinity, but that glory. Look again at Philippians. Go back to that Philippians passage. Philippians 2. He did, verse 6, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. If anyone 
was ever not overly impressed by a sense of his self-importance. It was Christ. No one like him because there's no one as important as Christ. No human being is ever as important as Christ. And yet no one was at least impressed with his own self-importance. In fact, if you look just a little bit further in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it's the next slide, I believe. It says the following. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit. Oh, friends, conceit, conceit. That's self-importance. I stand before you a, a sinner. That word, sadly, is a word that ends up far too many times defining me i go into the closet and i grab that garment far too often and i put it on and i come downstairs (laughs) wait a second that doesn't go my friends tell me the men i work with tell me my wife you tell me i'm so sorry god's so patient with me al stop doing things out of conceit an overblown self-importance you are not important but rather in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Oh, friends. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. If I walk into a room and I say, hey, I'm self-important. I've got this overblown sense of my importance. Boy, it is my efforts in this organization that really matter. What I do here is the difference maker. Then I come in and I just run people over with what they're thinking. I don't listen I don't consider others more important than myself. I I always look after my own interests. Rarely do I stop and think of your interests, how what I'm doing is helping you, how what I'm not doing is making you stumble. Jesus was not that way. I want to be that way. Pray for me. I want to have a meek disposition that listens. Yesterday, we had some friends over in my living room, and I just came in from talking to someone else. I just walked right in the living room and just started talking. I interrupted everybody's conversation. What is that all about? Well, can you go back to that text? It's not doing that is what that's all about. I want to change. At that moment, I was wearing my son, my grandson Samuel's little shirt. I mean, I looked like an idiot. (laughs) Only because I was. And God was patient with me, and so were my friends and family. And they just politely said, you do realize we were talking, right? I don't know if anybody ever told you this, but someone I worked with in Orlando once told me this. They said, Al, listen, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen twice as much as you speak. Really? Yes. So I can ask you what's important to you. This is why the Bible says Jesus is so meek, gentle. It it, it means many other things. It also means great strength under great control. And in that sense, Jesus was the meekest, most gentle man ever because who's stronger than Jesus? But yet he had great self-control. Didn't have to always be talking and telling everybody his opinions. Hey, listen, I'm tired of talking about me why don't you talk about me for a while? That's the opposite of this. 
That's like, that's like wearing, you know, those, those uh, what do they call them, flood pants, you know, or, you know, whatever, with holes in them, with polka dots, blue, you know, and a green shirt. Now, I realize some of you may think that's cool. I don't think it's cool. No one else thinks it's cool. We're laughing at you, not with you. But, but it just doesn't go. It's not who we are. We listen, we care, we're gentle. Jesus is gentle, he listens, he cares. Oh, he is Lord, oh, he commands. Oh, he is not at all timid. No, 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 but he's gentle, he's meek. Boy, if there's ever a piece of clothing that, that would draw attention to God, especially in South Florida, it would be this one. This one, this one, and... and, and and just the idea of not being overly impressed with ourselves. Friends, all of these five pieces of clothing are brought together with one final one. And that's in verse 14. Look at it with me. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, we live in South Florida. We don't wear coats much. My wife's from Detroit, Michigan area, and they, they have some killer coats. And, and her cousin, she's got like about, I don't know, 70 or 80 cousins, big Italian families. First time I went there, I thought I was stepping into the scene of a Godfather movie. And they all got jet black hair, big overcoats, you know, really cool overcoats. It kind of, they kind of brings everything together. And that's what love is. Love is this overcoat. Love is this garment that binds them all together in perfect harmony. Of course it is. The greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor. This is what a beautiful life looks like. This is how beautiful people dress. They love God. They love one another. They have compassionate hearts. They are kind. They are patient. They are humble. They are meek. They are gentle. So here's the appeal. How's your wardrobe as you're looking in the mirror? How do you look? And may I invite you to ask others about your wardrobe? You may think you're looking great. And maybe you are. But there might be a few other opinions on that. Start with those closest to you. Are we wearing a suit of armor with brass knuckles or are we wearing the wardrobe of love, Christ's love, with these individual items that God has provided? Do we wear the wardrobe of grudges and grievances and clashes and anger in our hearts or do we don the clothing of forbearance and forgiveness? Our cold pride and harsh judgments of each other, what we wear, the coats that we put on, or do we clothe ourselves with gentle humility and understanding and giving others the benefit of the doubt and being kind even when others aren't being so kind toward us? As God's chosen people, his holy and dearly loved, his beautiful people who have been given a beautiful life, let us put on love, which is that perfect bond of unity and peace in our hearts as the body of Christ. Let's pray. Worship team, would you join?